You are welcome to the teaching ministry of Nelson Ihiagwa. Be stirred as you listen. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, we bless you, we love you. You are good, you are God, you are faithful. Mighty God, as we go into your word tonight, we ask that we say that our hearts are open. We ask that you are instructed by the word of God. The word of God corrects, instructs, and changes our hearts, O God. Father, we thank you, we give you praise. Because tonight, the word of God is going to shatter darkness in our hearts. It's going to expose us to the truth. Thank you, mighty God. In Jesus' awesome name, we prayed. Amen, amen, amen. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. Um, we're gonna we're gonna look at something really amazing today. So, for those of you who joined last week, we've been looking at something interesting called living by revelation, right? We've been looking at something interesting called living by revelation, and um, what that really means when it comes to living by revelation. Last week, I laid a foundation, and in that, we were talking of how the Word of God is shows us who God is. And in showing us who God is, the nature of the believer is revealed. So the better the believer sees God, the better the believer conforms to who God has made him to be. The better and the clearer the believer sees God, the easier it is for the believer to conform to who God has made him. Alright, so, you know... um, Going back to it, you know, it makes more sense when you look to it and you see that Paul prayed that the eyes of their understanding be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of their calling and what is their inheritance in the the inheritance of God in the saints. Okay, so in Paul praying that the greatest prayer that Paul prayed for the church again and again was that the eyes of their understanding be enlightened. Paul continually prayed that the church see. Because the truth is, the man in Christ is not lacking anything. God has given the man in Christ all he needs to live for him. What the believer just needs to do is to see. So you see the church at Corinth, when they had a character flaw, Paul's response to that character flaw was not vehemence. Paul's response to that character flaw was, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So when a believer has a flaw, even many times when um, in the Bible, even the Ephesian church, and then the church at Thessalonica and things, when they had issues, it was the word of God that was placed before believers to correct them. Because when the believers sees the word the word of god instructs and um corrects the believer you see when you read um second timothy chapter three it says the word of god is profitable for doctrine for correction you see the word correction is it paints a picture of of making straight something that is bent it paints a picture of making straight something that is bent. So that is what we looked at. That when the when the believer is corrected by the word of God, it means that it's possible he has a warped theology or he has a warped ideology. But when the word of God is placed side by side, the ideology of that believer, the believer should adjust to what the word of God says. As a believer, you should not raise any ideology. You should not even raise your feelings about the word of god 
Why? Because if truly we believe that the word of God was inspired, men were inspired as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, then we believe that the Bible is a compendium of inspired speech written by God. Written by God. So, um, we understand that God has called us out of darkness and last week i you know as i was explaining i said that uh, i said a few things last week while we were explaining i said the believer having itching ears also is not just always wanting to hear a lie is wanting to hear an aspect of the truth because itching ears is not just always wanting to hear a lie is wanting to hear um, an aspect of truth. Second Timothy lets us understand that they will heap teachers unto themselves after their own lust. So many believers want to always hear what Christ has done. When you're talking of what Christ has done, when you're talking of favor, when you're talking of faith, when you're talking of the believer's authority, when you're talking of these powerful truths in the word of God, they really are excited about it. But when you come to talk about what the word of God says about moral conduct, what the word of God says about character what the word of god says about how the believer should carry himself a lot of believers lose interest so that is also having itching ears having itching ears is not all only wanting to hear a lie having itching ears is wanting to hear an aspect of the truth okay and i was explaining that truth is holistic you cannot pick and choose truth is a total package you have to pick all of it you have to pick all of it so, and that is what Christ has done. Then I went further to explain that the man in Christ has, the, the better the believer sees God, the better the believer's actions will be. So if you see a believer whose idea or theology of God is warped, his, re, his response will also be warped. If you see a believer who sees God as a, as a harsh judge, he sees God as, um, he sees God as, Atomic bomb, Lassie Elenu's character, you know. The believer sees God as, as that wicked, unrighteous king. The believer's response when, when, when another believer falls will be in the same likeness or in that similitude. The believer's response will not be with grace and love. The believer's response will be with vehemence. Because that is the nature of God he has come to see consistently. Therefore, that is the nature of God he's going to repeat or represent because that is what he has seen. The believer who only thinks God is an ATM machine and does not know why God does the things he does. We only focus on what God does and not why God does it and or, um, or his reason for doing those things. That believer will not be focused on the purpose and the counsel of God. That believer will only be focused, be focused on those things. And therefore, it will raise believers that are imbalanced. And it will raise believers who are um, not grounded in truth, not balanced in truth. Having an aspect of truth is bad. <laughs> Alright? Having an aspect of truth is wrong. Having... Um, Having 80% of truth is wrong. You know, a lot of people say uh, ignorance is better than a half-truth. The reason is because a half-truth is going to make the entire body of truth look like a lie. A half-truth is going to make the entire body of truth look, look like a lie. 
but they have truth. That's what they have truth is going to do. But ignorance is going to ignorance is you don't know so your mind is fresh and you can be educated appropriately on the subject so last week we looked at lordship and one thing we saw about lordship is we saw how you know jesus is lord what exactly does that mean what exactly are the logical conclusions from that what does that mean how did he become lord is that true you know what is the theological logic that supports it and then um finally we said what exactly does his lordship mean for me Alright, so you could go to niministries.org slash resources, download the message titled Lordship, and then we you, you can listen to that. Today we're going to be looking at something quite different. We're talking about living by revelation, but this is part two. It's going to be really amazing. It's going to be really amazing. Uh, today, you know, by the end, of course, you should know the topic. But let's just look at this. Turn your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 21. Matthew 1 21. Look at what it says. Now, this is the angel that appeared to Mary. The angel appeared to Mary, and this is what he said. He said, And she shall bring forth a son. He said, This is the angel talking about Mary. Talk to Joseph. He says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. You see, the meaning of Jesus is um, Yahweh is salvation. This is a variant of the name Joshua. It also it means Yahweh is salvation. So the name of Jesus was prophecy to what he was going to do. All right. The name of Jesus was prophecy of what he was going to do. You see, let me say this carefully. Um, the clearest revelation of God we can see is seen in the gospel. You see the benevolence of God in the gospel. You see the justice of God in the gospel. You see the mercy of God in the gospel. You see the love of God in the gospel. You see the kindness of God in the gospel. Any nature of God that is presented that cannot fit in the context of God as we have seen in the epistles is not the, as, as we have seen in the gospel rather is not the god of the bible any nature of god that is presented that is different from the nature of god that as we see it in the gospel is not the god of the bible so when you put any nature of god that is presented to you side by side with what is revealed especially with how he is revealed in the gospel then that nature is is at is at best false is at best false so Going back to what I was saying, his name shall be called Jesus. His name was prophecy to his assignment. And the meaning of that, his name is Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. It says, for he shall save his people from their sin. He shall save his people from their sin. This was why Jesus came. You know, I first heard this from my pastor many, many years ago. He said, any reason, anything that could have been done in the Old Testament or anything that was done in the Old Testament before the coming of Jesus is not the reason Jesus came. Anything that was done in the Old Testament before the coming of Jesus is not the reason Jesus came. So in the Old Testament, God provided for men. In the Old Testament, God worked miracles. In the Old Testament, God wrought wondrous things. The dead came back to life. So Jesus did not just come to rise from the dead. I mean, there were the the um, widows, the the widow's son. When they put 
the dead man rather, on the corpse of Elisha, he came back to life. So God's desire was not just for Jesus to come and work special miracles. That was not the reason he came. So anything that was done in the Old Testament is not the reason Jesus came. Jesus, God prospered men and men were rich in the Old Testament. So that is not also the reason Jesus came. Jesus, from the prophecy of his name, Yahweh is salvation. And from Matthew 1, 21, he says he came to save his people from their sin. The reason Jesus came, the only sole primary, the primary reason Jesus came was to save people from their sin. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declared unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. So he's saying, This is the gospel I preached to you. You received it, and this is the truth in which you stand. Now he's saying, By which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Look at verse 3. It says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Are you, can you hear that? He said, I'm delivering to you the same thing that I also received. He says, How that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. Verse 4. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to scripture. Let me read verse 3 again. He says, First, I deliver unto you, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to scripture. So he lets us understand that, you know the song, you live to die. Oh, Jesus did not just die for the fun of it. He died for sin. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus came to pay those wages in full. He came to give his life. For the sin of man. Man could not save himself. Man could not save himself. God could not die. So God became a man to fulfill the claims of divine justice. I say that again. Man could not save man could not save himself. God could not die. So God became a man to fulfill the claims of divine justice. Okay? So he says that. Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. What does he mean by according to scriptures? He means that the way scriptures said it was going to happen, the way scriptures spoke it to be, the way scriptures prophesied, and in this context, when he says scriptures, he's talking of the prophetic writings and the writings in the law. That's um, Genesis to Malachi. He said how he died according to, um, he died for our sins according to scripture. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to scriptures. The reason Jesus died, or the reason Jesus even came, was to die. And the reason he died was for our sins. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, 6. Look at what he says. Or Let's read from verse... Let's read from verse 1, rather. He says, and he, and he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy. 
lying on the bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Look at verse 3. And behold, certain of the scribes saith within themselves, This man blasphemeth. Now look at what Jesus said. He said, your sins be forgiven you. Now, this is one of the things that proves the deity of Christ. Or that proves that Christ is God. Because he could forgive sins. Okay? But let's read on. And certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. Look at verse 4. He says, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye, wherefore think ye evil in your heart? Verse 5. It says, For well, for whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Arise and walk. Look at verse 5, verse 6. It says, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the Son of to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up your bed, and go up to your house. He said, So that you will know that I have power. Which one is easier to say? Arise, take up your bed and walk, or your sins be forgiven thee. But I said it so that you will know that I have the authority to forgive sins. So he turned to the man and said, Arise, take up your bed and walk. What this teaches us is Jesus, as easily as he could heal the sick, was the, the because as easily as he could heal the sick was the same way he could um, forgive sins. It was the same way he could forgive sins. As easily as he could heal the sick was the same way he could forgive sin. You see, um, when you see in the Old Testament and you see them speaking in prophecy many times about what Jesus did is was doing for sin. You know, he took our he took our sickness. He bore on our body his sickness. Sickness usually was used for a typification of sins. So if he could heal sins, if he could heal sicknesses, then he took my then he can take my sin. I'm going to explain further on that eventually, you know. But turn your Bible with me to 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2. Go to verse 24. Or 1 Peter 2 rather, sorry. 1 Peter 2. Verse 24. Look at what it says. It says, who his own self bear our sins. This is what Jesus did. Jesus took your sins. He took your sins on his body. So the Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin. So Jesus knew no sin, but he died as sin on the cross. He took your sin, took my sin, laid on the cross. It says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body. On the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Let me read that again. It says he bear our sins in his own body on the tree. The tree here was talking of the cross. That we be dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So what this is telling us really is if you read in context when he says by whose stripes you were healed he's not talking of bodily physical healing he's talking of our sins he took our sins on his body and in his taking of our of, of sin on his body what that means for the belief what that means for us is that we are healed Healed in terms of the divide that sin had already caused between man and God. Jesus bore it on himself. So that sin no longer counts against you, child of God. 
If you believe in the message of the gospel, if you believe in the message of the gospel, you are in this context healed. By his stripes you were healed. And what does this mean? It means that by his death on the cross, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. By his death on the cross, your sins are forgiven. You see, the gospel is not any message that brings men to the cross. That is not what the gospel is. The gospel is not any message that brings men to, to salvation. The gospel is not any message that men hear and then they are pricked in their hearts and they say, Lord, from today, I will leave you, I will leave for you. These things I used to do, I do them no more. That is not exactly what the gospel is. So a lot of people I have preached many things and many people have responded to what has been preached, but they've responded to many things that are not the gospel. You see, what the gospel is, is this simple. What the gospel is, is the preaching according to like we saw in 1 Corinthians 15 verse um, 2, 3 and 4. You see, Paul said that the same things I received, that which I also received, did I give to you. So it means that the gospel is not, is not made up of witty inventions. Christianity is a historical faith. And what does a historical faith mean? You don't, you don't invent with Christianity. You find out. I say that again. You don't invent with Christianity. You find out. You don't invent. You find out what has been written in the word is the revelation of God. So you don't any revelation you get that is outside the written word is a witty invention. It is not what the word says. Praise the Lord Jesus. So when he talks on, he said that which I received, I gave to you. So the same things that was committed into my trust is the same thing that I committed unto you. How that Christ died for our sins according to scripture and that he rose again. Christ did not die so that you will be rich. Christ did not even die so that um, you will be healed. Even though in his resurrection, he gave us his name, and then in his name we heal sicknesses, the sole reason he died was for your sin, was for my sin. So, and then he rose on the third day according to scripture. And that is how scripture prophesied it. Okay, so what this will mean, child of God, is simple. What this will mean for us is this, that Jesus died for your sin. And what the gospel will be is not any message. What the gospel will be is not a witty invention. What the gospel will be is, I mean, when you look at the framing of the word, it is called the gospel. It means that there are definite things that make it that message. The word the is a definite article. It means that when you remove a part from the word, from the thing that follows it next, it stops being the, it becomes a. Are you with me? So when I say, um, go and get uh, the pen, there could be many pens in the room. There could be 400 of them. But when I say the pen, I'm speaking of, I'm speaking of uh, what's the word I'm looking for now? I'm speaking of specifics because I use the word the. There are specific characteristics that 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 make up the particular pen I'm telling you to bring. So therefore, I use the word the. So when it is called the gospel, what that means is um, there it there are parts of it 
that if you take out, it ceases to be the gospel and it becomes a. So it means that it has a definite article, the gospel. So the gospel is a specific kind of message. The gospel is not what works. The gospel is a specific kind of message. I say that again. The gospel is not what works. The gospel is not trends. The gospel is a specific kind of message. The gospel is not what works. The gospel is a specific kind of message. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The gospel is a specific kind of message. And what is the gospel? The gospel is that he came. He died for our sins and he rose for our justification that is what the bible lets us understand he died for our sins and then he rose for our justification so um i'm going deeper into what uh our topic for today is so quick question if jesus died for our sins what ex- now let me lay a foundation before we go further when the bible says he died for our sins what this will mean is this um, in his death, you see many other places, his death is represented by his blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when they tell somebody, stop shedding blood, what they mean is stop taking life. All right. What they mean is stop taking life because the life of flesh is in the blood. So every time when he said the blood of Jesus, it did not mean the liquid red blood of Jesus. What it meant was the sacrifice of Jesus, the life of Jesus that was given Okay, so when we go out for evangelism, let me just add this. When we go out for evangelism, evangelism is not inviting people to church. Even though after getting people saved, they need a local assembly by which they will grow in. Even after getting people saved, people need a family of God. People need to be introduced to where they will be taught the word of God. They'll be taught, they'll be held accountable for prayer and many of those things. That is why we invite people for church. But evangelism is not handing out flyers and telling people to come to church. That is not evangelism. Evangelism is not telling people that hell is real, Jesus is coming soon. That may be a kind of evangelism, whatever that is. But that is not what the Bible meant. That is not preaching the gospel. The gospel is not hell is real, Jesus is coming soon. That is not the gospel. The gospel is he died for sins and then he rose. According, He died for sins and then he rose. And if anybody believes, that person is forgiven. If anybody believes, that person is forgiven. That person is assured of an eternal destination with the Father. That is what the gospel is. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Tonight, we're really going to be talking about forgiveness. You know, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. And that is what we've been, that's where I've been heading to, you know. So we're going to be talking about forgiveness. Go to Ephesians 1, 7. Look at what it says. It says, in whom, and who is the whom? He's talking of Jesus. He said, in whom we have redemption. He says, we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood. The word redemption there is, um, we have, we have a worthy, we have a worthy payment. We have a ransom. We have deliverance. The word is apolotrusis. We have liberation. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Let me break that down a little bit. Look at what he says. He says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. What does that mean? 
It means that in the sacrifice of Jesus, our deliverance has been paid. You know, I told you the word apolotrusis. Alright? The word is apolotrusis. It means through the blood, and I explained that the blood meant his eternal sacrifice. So through his sacrifice, we have redemption. Through his sacrifice, we have deliverance. Now, if you keep reading, and what the deliverance is, is his deliverance from Okay, let me, let me allow the word of God tell us what that deliverance is. You keep reading because the word of God explains itself. So he said, in whom we have redemption, in whom we have liberation, in whom we have deliverance, in whom we have um, ransom through his blood. That's through his sacrifice. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Glory to God. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It is in Christ that we have found redemption. It is in, and how did we find that redemption? Through his blood. It is in Christ that we have found redemption. And, you know, to further buttress what he meant by redemption through his blood, he now said the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So, in re you cannot separate redemption from the forgiveness of sins. Let me explain that. You cannot forgive, you cannot separate redemption from the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because both of them were achieved by one thing, his blood. And what does his blood mean? His sacrifice. So redemption and the forgiveness of sins, they are both achieved by one thing. And what is that one thing? His sacrifice. So you have been bought back by his blood. And the forgiveness of your sins is encapsulated in his death, in his sacrifice. You know, I kept on reading again why Jesus came, why Jesus came. The primary principal reason for the coming of Jesus was not working of miracles. The primary principal reason for Jesus was not to make men rich. The reason Jesus came was to forgive sins. Listen, a lot of people have been taught and been trained that these are the elemental stages of Christianity. Is not true. Is not true. These are not the I mean, you the reason why Jesus became a man, why immortality become became mortal, why the resurrection died. The reason you can the reason that he came to be so that he can save men from their sins. You are saying that that is foundation, that's an insult to redemption. You are saying that that is a basics rather. That's an insult to redemption. That's an insult to what he did. That's an insult to the intelligence of the Godhead. Praise God. Praise God. I feel I said that because of somebody. If you think that, oh, the reason Jesus came and new creation realities, those are baby stuff. You are a baby. That's what that means. It means you need to grow up. It means you need to grow up. Because these are the always precious, eternal, doubtless truths of the word of God. These are the truths that the apostles died for preaching. We cannot call these basics and we cannot overlook these things. Back to my Ephesians 1.7. Our redemption and our forgiveness of sins is found in one thing, his blood. And what did his blood do? His blood represents his sacrifice. And his sacrifice is what is his sacrifice was for our sins. Was for our sins. He died for our sins. Child of God, he died for your sins. Your sins are not counted against you. Why? Because Jesus died for them. If your sins were still counted against you, it means God will be unjust and he will be overlooking the sacrifice of Jesus. Let me give you more verses. 
Let me give you more verses. Colossians 1 14. Are you there? Are you there? Colossians 1 14. It says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, the word even was put there to further buttress what he was saying. And it is Paul that wrote both letters, right? So the word was put there to further portray what he was saying. He says, in whom, and that's who is that whom? Is Jesus. It is in Jesus we have apolotrusis. It is in Jesus we have redemption. And even in that redemption, we have something called the forgiveness of sins. My sins are forgiven because of his blood. Do you see that? Let me give you some more verses before I land on something he says that we through his blood even the forgiveness of sins so the forgiveness of sins is gotten on one thing his blood <clears throat> his eternal sacrifice hmm. hallelujah first john 2 12 first john 2 12 look at this first john 2 12 are you there First John 2 12. First John 2 12 says something very important. He says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Listen, he said, he said this. He said, Your sins are what? Forgiven. They are forgiving you for his name's sake. He does not say, he does not say will be forgiven. He did not say should and should have been forgiven he said it is forgiven the word forgiven your sins are forgiven and that word is a present continuous tense i believe we did english we used that maximilian textbook all right um he said you are forgiven for his namesake so that forgiveness is not something that is dead and gone it is something that is ever present your i dare say this child of god your sin past your sin present your sin future is jesus bore it on the cross let me say it one more time your sins past your sins present your sins future we are forgiven on the cross they were forgiven on the cross let me let, let's look at a few more verses um acts chapter 13 acts chapter 13 Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Look at this. It says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, who is that man? Jesus. Through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. It is in the... And when he says, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, what did he mean? What he meant was, it is in Jesus that the forgiveness of sin is preached. It is in what he has done that the forgiveness of sin counts. It is in his sacrifice. So when a man believes the gospel, the Bible says, whosoever believes shall be saved. And what did he mean by saved? It means that the man's sin is forgiven. Whosoever believes is saved. Who does not be, whosoever does not believe is condemned already. So when we preach the gospel, it is on the premise and the confidence of the word of God that when a man believes, we can tell the man that your sins are forgiven. God does not count your sins against you. Why? Because you have come to believe in the gospel. And anyone who believes in the gospel is forgiven. Is forgiven. Hallelujah. 
Glory to God. Anyone who believes in the gospel is forgiven. You see that forgiveness is not forgiveness is not called is not called forgiveness. It's called forgiveness. So it is it is a present continuous thing or is something that happened once you see even in the old testament and um, when the high priest wanted to offer a sacrifice for the sin of israel he did not offer it again he did not offer it many times in that year he brought a lamb that was one year old and was spotless and he offered the sin of that lamb and that lamb atoned for the sin of israel for one year now we have an eternal lamb an eternal high priest he's the life of the lamb is equivalent to how long the sacrifice is going to be. The life of the lamb is equivalent for how long the sacrifice is going to be. So if the one year lamb atoned for the lamb of the, of the children of Israel for one year, the lamb, an eternal lamb, is going to atone for the sins of Israel forever. Of, the, of, the, of whoever believes forever. Forever. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. An eternal lamb is going to atone for the sins eternally. A one-year lamb is going to atone for the sins for one year. Now, you see that every text we have read, it does not say um, we have forgiveness. Like, okay, let me take Colossians 1, 14. For example, it does not say in whom we have a redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of even the forgiveness of sins. It does not say we have redemption through confession. It does not say we have redemption through um, restitution. It does not say we have um, forgiveness through. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look for any other thing that we use. It does not say we have redemption or forgiveness through any other thing. What it says we have redemption through is through the is through his blood. Because truly, forgiveness of sins is seen in what Jesus has done. Forgiveness of sins is seen in what Jesus has done. Ha! Glory to God. Hey, my sins are forgiven. The Father does not hold my sins against me. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. The Father has no sin against me. My sins are forgiven. You see, let's look at this. Um, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Look at, let's read from verse 6. Now, this is uh, Paul writing. Now, you need to understand that there was a dispute in the church at Rome because there were a lot of people that were together. There were the Greeks and there were people that were basically Gentiles and there were people that had become Christians. And then there was a lot of back and forth. Should the Jews be circumcised? Should they obey the law? And all, Should the Gentiles be circumcised? Should they obey the law? And a lot of things. So the purpose of the, of the writing of the book of Romans was to tell them that, guys, it's not by circumcision. It's not by obeying the law. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. Okay? So you see verse 6. It says, even as David also describeth the blessedness of a man, unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. Look at verse 7. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Hey, Gubaladina high. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. 8. It says, blessed is the man who the Lord will not impute sin. 
Now, this is David reasoning with them and Paul reasoning with them in verse 9. He says, Come at this blessedness then upon the circumcision only. That's does he come on the Jews only or also on the Gentiles? That's what he meant by the uncircumcision. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? You know, he now goes on to say, What was Paul trying to say here? Paul was recalling the prophecy of David. And in recalling the prophecy of David, he was saying that, guys, listen very carefully to me. You see, a man who sinned, he was saying that these blessings accrue to a man, to a man, not because he has done everything right, but because he has come into righteousness by faith. And the Bible lets us understand that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are declared righteous before God because of the faith we have in Christ. So, because we are that man, Paul is teaching us that this prophecy and this prophet this prophecy is a reality to you. Listen, this prophecy is not a prayer point to the child of God. This prophecy is your life. This prophecy is your life. He says, "Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven." My iniquities are forgiven. My sins are covered. When you are looking, if anybody is looking for my sin, they are under the blood. My sins are under the blood. Past, present, future, they are under the blood. My sins are under the blood. They are not, they are not, um, they are not um, lounging around me. You see, when a lot of people try to say things like, you have to confess to be forgiven. First of all, the Bible does not say we have forgiveness through confession. It says we have forgiveness through his blood. Even we have um, redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgiven because, not because we confessed, but because of what he did. The Bible says in 1 John 2.12, it says your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. It's not because of what you have done. It's because of what he has done. Our sins are, it does not say will be forgiven. It does not say the ones you've done before has been forgiven. It says your sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. The Bible says if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart which condemns you. I'm probably speaking for someone tonight. You're probably living under weight of condemnation. Can, you know, how does God see me? God sees you as forgiven. When God looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of what Jesus has done. He looks at you through the lens and he calls you forgiving, forgiving. You cannot be unforgiving. You are forgiving. Your sins are under the blood. You are forgiving. Glory to God. Glory to God. And this is David speaking again. He says, blessed, my sins are covered. My iniquities are forgiven. My sins are covered. My iniquities are forgiven. I say that again. My sins are covered. My iniquities are forgiven. All right. And of course, as we always do, you know, in this series, what exactly does this mean for the believer? What does this mean for the believer? Ephesians. Oh, before we even go there, let me just throw in one more verse for the heck of it. Colossians 2.13. It says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. It means he has called you back to life. Ephesians 2.1 corroborates this. It says, You were dead in your sins and your trespasses, but you are the quickened together with him. It says he has quickened us together with him. Look at what he says. Having forgiven you all trespasses. You cannot separate what Christ has done. In his redemption, in his, in his death, in his resurrection, my forgiveness was captured there. My redemption, my buying back from the power of sin was captured there. I am forgiven. 
Glory to God. I am forgiven. Say, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. Colossians 2. It says that having forgiven you all your trespasses, all, all your trespasses, you are forgiven. And finally, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. It says, and be ye, let me start from verse, okay, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, this tells us that we are forgiven, all right? This tells us that we are forgiven. But it doesn't just tell us that we are forgiven. It tells us we are forgiven for Christ's sake. What does that mean? Because of what Christ has done, the child of God is forgiven. I say that again. Because of what Christ has done, the child of God is forgiven. I say that one more time. Because of what Christ has done, the child of God is forgiven. So you are not forgiving for your work's sake. You are not forgiving for your confession's sake. You are forgiving for Christ's sake. And also, what this tells us is because because we are forgiving, we forgive one another. We forgive one another. We forgive one another. So that's why it says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Relationships are broken when we offend one another. But when faults are confessed, when, we, when faults are confessed, when we come to one another, it is expected that forgiveness is done. It is a paradox for a believer to be unforgiving. It is a paradox. When you see what Jesus has done, it is a paradox for you to be unforgiving. When you see the magnitude of the sins that you have been forgiven of, it is a paradox for you to for you to be unforgiving. I say that again. An unforgiving Christian is a paradox. An unforgiving Christian is a paradox. You know, um, Jesus tells the tale of two servants. I just... Our time is far gone, so I'm just going to put this. Jesus tells the tale of two servants, all right? He talks about one. He says one was owing his master um, uh, a lot of money. And then his master forgave him and let him. But then on his way, he saw another servant who owed him less. And then he held him by the shirt. He threw him in prison. And he said, till you pay me, I'm not going to let you go. Jesus now asks, who was unjust? The truth of the matter is this. When you look at that story, who is unjust? The man who is unjust is the man who refuses to forgive. Because he who has been forgiven much should forgive much. I say that again. He who has been forgiving much should forgive much. In this our era of cut them off and all those things. Let me say something that may not be um, conventional. Biblical forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness I am encourages what's the word I'm looking for now. Biblical forgiveness encourages encourages a repairing of relationships for lack of yes. Biblical forgiveness encourages reconciliation. Any forgiveness that is absent of reconciliation is not biblical forgiveness. Any forgiveness that is absent from reconciliation is not biblical forgiveness. When you were forgiving, Jesus did not say, I've forgiven you, but um, you know. When you are praying, I will not be talking to you too much. That's not what Jesus said. 
Listen, you forgiving people does not show you are weak or you are foolish. You forgiving people shows you are a believer. Because you are not responding to people based on how they acted. You are responding based on what the word of God says or who you have seen in Christ Jesus. This is what living by revelation is. We are not living based on what works or the a popular trend cut them off theology we are we are we are we are a generation that that uh, lives on um what's the word now we're a generation that lives on on uh, on trends you know almost everybody's a surgeon cut them off it doesn't always work that way now there are people who might have hurt you and then you can forgive them for hurting you whether they whether they apologize or not because this is biblical forgiveness whether you confess those sins or not you are forgiven so you have to forgive people in advance whatever they do you declare them forgiven irrespective of what they do, they've done however child of god irrespective of what people have done you forgive them but there may be people who may be toxic to your life you know the relationship be toxic and you may need to give them space you know, but any you see, a lot of people have used this to mean something. I'm forgiving you, Obaka. I cannot really talk to you like that. That is not the forgiveness that is in the word of God. That's not the forgiveness that is in the word of God. Forgiveness that is not um reconciliatory is not biblical forgiveness. Okay. Let me just move on. Um, I read Ephesians 4:32. Go to Ah, thank you, Jesus. Ephesians 4 32 basically tells us that. It says, Be ye kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as Christ, for God's sake, has forgiven you. The unforgiving believer is a paradox. I say that again. The unforgiving believer is a paradox. He that has been forgiven much should forgive much. He that has been forgiven much should forgive much. You see, when I when I see the truth of the matter still remains that um, to how much you um, to how much you can forgive is to the degree you can forgive people is the degree to which you understand the forgiveness that Christ has wrought for you. The degree to which you forgive people is the degree to which you can understand is with is the degree to which you have come to understand the forgiveness that Christ has wrought for you. If, if there's something you say, ah, if you do this to me, I will never forgive you in this life. Never. If there's anything you can say about that, it means that there are particular, it means that that's the level to which you understand the forgiveness that was wrought for you in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Child of God, forgiveness is yours in him. Therefore, there is nothing you cannot forgive. If he has forgiven you great, you will forgive men even great. If he has forgiven you much, you will forgive men even much. Wish we had more time. I would have opened another verse, but we are supposed to close by 10 and I don't want to exceed this. Can we just pray, Father, in the name of Jesus? You know what? Let's just do this. Pray in tongues where you are. If you have anyone you have a grudge against, anyone you have a hurt against, send them a message. Send them a message. Or if you can't reach them or you, you know, maybe it's something that is really, really sensitive. You don't have to just forgive them. Just let them go. Someone said that forgiveness is going to a prison to release someone only to find out you are the one that has been in prison all along. It is, it is on Christ-like for a believer to carry a grudge. It is on Christ-like for a believer to carry hurts 
of another person is. It's unchristlike for a believer to be bitter against another person. Because he has forgiven you much, you forgive much. Just pray in tongues where you are. Anyone that, have, that you, have a, you have hurt against, just forgive. Let the person go now. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more ministry content, visit niministries.org. God bless you.